Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about baptism and how it's an immersion into our new identity. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? On this bright, balmy spring morning. I got up and it was single digits. I'm like, what gives? This is North Dakota, I guess. Um, we live here. So, just want to say welcome if you're a guest with us today. If this is your first time uh, joining us for Missio, we're so glad that you're here. And it's a special day. Um, we've been talking about baptisms for quite a while. We had this large um, tank of water which is assembled like a piece of, it's a bunch of Legos. You put them together and then put the thing on it. And anyway, we've been talking about doing baptisms for a while and we planned on doing it back in early March, but I'm glad we waited because there were more people that wanted to be baptized. And so it's a special day for our Missio family and we're glad that you're here. And so at the end of the service, we're gonna be having the baptisms. Uh, but I thought, you know, it was kind of fitting to maybe talk about baptism since we're doing baptisms, let's, let's talk about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and I just want to say, you know, I missed you guys last week. I was gone. My family and I went on vacation down to Arizona. And so it was good. We haven't gone on a family vacation in like two years because when you're planting churches, it's busy. And so um, good to be back with you. It's funny because I actually got a sunburn. Can you believe that? I got a sunburn in Arizona. And as soon as I got off the plane, it like evaporated. Like, as soon as I got back to North Dakota, it's gone. Anyway, glad to be back with you, and we're going to talk about baptism today. And so, depending on your background, where you grew up, maybe if you were in church, maybe not, um, we all have different ideas about baptism. Baptism is one of those things, it's kind of a hot button, right? And some people have different views on it. And so, I just want to start by recognizing that, saying that in this room, I know there are people from different backgrounds, with different teachings, from different denominations. In fact, whole denominations have been formed around the issue of baptism. So it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. It's important. But just know that my intent today is not to tick you off. So if you have a different view or if you've been taught differently, uh, my intent, my heart, is just to look at Scripture, see what it says, and, and teach what we believe as a church. Okay, fair enough? So nobody shoot me up here, all right? So I want to start by just talking about some of the common views of baptism that some churches hold, and then we'll talk about what we believe is missio. So the first one is baptismal regeneration. And this is a view that basically baptism is what saves us. There is something special about the water. It's an act of salvation. And right, oftentimes it's done through sprinkling of infants and so um, there are churches who believe and denominations who believe that this is what saves a person. This is how they come to know Jesus, right? Through faith or through baptism. And so um, common is Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, Eastern Orthodox, some Lutheran churches believe this. So that's one view. The second view is covenantal baptism. This is common with Reformed churches. Um, Presbyterian churches often believe that um, just as Abraham had a covenant, like God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision back in the Old Testament, that baptism is the, the sign of the new covenant for the church age, right? And so they ne don't necessarily believe that it's, it's an act of salvation, but baptism is really a sign or a covenant that, hey, we're a Christian home, we're going to raise these kids, and eventually they're going to know Jesus. That's covenantal baptism. 
The third one is salvation occasion baptism. Now that's kind of a mouthful. Uh, But basically this idea is that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, that baptism is really the end of that salvation process. It starts with faith, understanding who Jesus is, believing in him, but then really the point of salvation is when they're immersed in the water, when they're dunked in the water, and they believe the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that person's heart at that moment. And so this is common within churches of Christ, Christian churches. Um, so basically, if someone believes in Jesus, we've got to hurry up and get him in the water. That's kind of their viewpoint, right? And the fourth one is believer's baptism. And this is our position. This is what, as missio, we believe, I believe personally. And this is very common among Baptist churches, non-denominational churches. There's quite a few churches in town that would hold this position. But basically, a belief that a person's baptism does not save them, but a person's baptism is really a symbol. It's symbolic, and there's a lot of uh, profound meaning wrapped up in it. But basically, it's a public profession of faith. It's saying, hey, I'm all in with Jesus. Like, I've, I've, he is first in my heart, I'm his disciple, and now we're gonna go public with it, and we're gonna show everybody, we're gonna tell everybody that I'm all in with Jesus. And so that's the idea of believer's baptism. It's basically, I am done with my old life, I am with him now, with Jesus, and I'm now with the church, I'm in. And so, um, like I said, that's our, our viewpoint as missio, that's my personal viewpoint, and so uh, that's what we're going to see today is believer's baptism. We don't baptize infants uh, with missio because we believe that it's got to be a, a choice, that person's got to understand salvation before they can choose to be baptized, all right? And so going public, um, I think back to high school and if you're like me, it was a long time ago, right? It's like, how, where did the years go? High school was a long time ago for me, but I remember there was, when you were dating somebody, you kind of had that moment that you went public. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you show up to the, the basketball game and someone's got someone else's letterman's jacket on or, or maybe a promise ring or um, a jersey or something that was, you know, the person they're in a relationship with. And it's like, hey, we're here and we're public. Like we're an item. And so baptism is a little bit like that. Uh, it's a lot more important than obviously showing up with a jersey on, but it's, it's kind of that moment of going public. I'm with Jesus. I'm in a relationship with him forever, and I want you guys to know. So that's what um, really the picture of believer's baptism is. So we're going to look at Jesus' baptism this morning, and then we're going to talk about Jesus' command. So just two things I want to I cover as we think about baptism so Jesus' baptism, just to set this up a little bit, um, Jesus uh, lived at home with his parents till I, I think, from what I see in Scripture, until he's about 30. So any 30-year-olds living in your mom and dad's basement, there's hope. It's okay, right? <laughs> so Jesus, up until he was about 30 years old, he didn't have his public ministry. And then it began, and then he started doing miracles and stuff. And so this was a very significant point in Jesus' life. He had been living at home, hanging out in the wood shop with, with his dad, Joseph, learning how to be a carpenter, learning the trade, doing a lot of other important things, I'm sure, but he lived at home. And so Jesus had a cousin named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness, and if, you, if you've read about John the Baptist, he was a, an interesting dude, a little eccentric. I mean, the guy wore like camel hair clothes, had a belt, leather belt wrapped around. I don't know what that looked like, kind of a jumpsuit I'm, I'm imagining, and so he ate locusts and wild honey. That was his diet. So eccentric. Kind of a hippie, I would say, maybe. 
But Jesus goes out to see his cousin John because John's preaching in the wilderness and all these people are coming and they're hearing John and they're, he's preaching, hey, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. People were saying, man, yeah, I got to quit messing around. I got to quit living my life this way and I want to live God's way. And so they were being baptized and it was a baptism of repentance. They were turning from their sin to follow God. So John's out preaching in the wilderness and I can just imagine it. There's the line, you know, of people coming down and John being you know, baptized, baptized. And here's Jesus. He goes, I know that guy. That's my cousin Jesus. Like, what's he doing here? Why is he in line? And Jesus gets up to the front of the line. Well, I don't want to spoil it. Let's read it, all right? So Matthew 3, if you have a Bible, we're going to read this together. We're going to start in verse 13. So Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so this is the account that we see in Scripture, that Jesus shows up, and he gets up to to John, and he says, I need to be baptized by you, John. John goes, no, you don't. I need to be baptized by you. Now, John shows some humility. You've got to give him some credit for that, right? Like he realizes that he's sinful. John is a sinful person. Jesus is perfect. So this kind of raises some questions, doesn't it? I've often wondered this myself. Like, why did Jesus need to be baptized by John? If it's a baptism of repentance, did Jesus have sin? No, he's perfect. He's God, right? Like he's God with skin on. He's He doesn't need to be repenting of anything. But yet he comes to John, he says, baptize me, John, because it is fitting that we fulfill all righteousness. There's some important things to realize here. So the first thing is, you know, John, I think John maybe thought that he had credentials to baptize, like, hey, I'm probably better than most of you, so I'm baptizing you, I'm preaching, I'm the one up here, until Jesus shows up and John realizes his own sinfulness. He says, Jesus, you need to baptize me. Jesus says, no, 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 John. John, John, you don't get it. This isn't about your personal righteousness as a baptizer. This is about us fulfilling the purpose that God has for us, right? It says us in there. And so baptism isn't about your personal holiness, John. It's about God's purpose. And so John goes, okay, I don't don't really get it, but I'm going along with it. Let's do this. And so he baptized him. And so for John, it was a recognition that his role, John the Baptist's role, was to point to Jesus. He says, hey, he's coming. He's greater than I. A little later, John says, I must decrease and he must increase. That was John's role, was to prepare the way for Jesus. And for Jesus, it was a demonstration of God's purpose for him and the start of his earthly ministry. He's saying, hey, I'm here. I'm establishing the kingdom. I'm following in my, what my father wants me to do. And I'm starting my earthly ministry because after that point, shortly after, Jesus goes out into the desert, the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. 
And then just after that, he picks out his disciples. He gets his team together. So this is a very important moment for Jesus. But he says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Us. They both had a purpose and they were living into it. See, that word righteousness, when we read that, we often think, well, a person is right. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it's typically what it means. I am morally correct. I'm doing the right things. I'm a good person. That's what righteousness means. But there's a, there's a deeper meaning here. And I think biblically, we understand righteousness. Um, a mentor of mine explained it this way. Think of the word righteousness as right useness. Right useness. And so if a person is righteous, they are living into the purpose that God has for them through faith. They're obeying God because they understand the purpose that God has for their life. And I think that's the case here for Jesus. Jesus wasn't sinful. He didn't need to be made righteous because of, you know, forgiving his sin. But he stepped into his purpose that God had for him. Same with John. But John was sinful. But he stepped into his purpose. And so through his baptism, Jesus was declaring God's claim on his life and purpose. So there's another place in scripture that we see this word righteousness, and there's, there's tons of them. I don't want to go through a bunch of them, but one of them is Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram later became Abraham. God changed his name. Now, let me just ask you guys a question. Do you think Abraham was perfect? If you've read scripture and you know Abraham's story, that dude had some problems, right? Like, what did Abraham do? God made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to give you descendants more than you can count, more than the stars, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And Abraham says, well, there's one problem. I don't have any kids, and we're old. My wife and I, we're pretty old. And so now they took matters into their own hands. Hagar came into the picture. Another son was born, and then later Isaac came. And so it's a whole thing, right? Jerry Springer, very, you know, very complicated. But Abraham was not perfect. He also went over to Egypt with his wife, Sarah, and came up with a little plan. He's like, man, my wife's pretty good looking. They're probably going to kill me to take her. So we'll just say she's my sister. So he went in and lied and said that his wife was his sister, which kind of backfired on him later, if you know the story. And so Abraham was not perfect. He was not self-righteous. But he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness because he walked in the path that God wanted him to walk. Make sense? So faith... Or trusting God is the first step to walking in our God-given purpose. I think for some of us, we think of Christianity as like, well, I got to get all my stuff together, all my junk together. I got to fix my life, and then I'll go and be a part of the church or be a part of Christianity or, or baptism. I got to get my life in order. I got to become, you know, a disciple of Jesus and get all my stuff in line. Then I can be baptized. Say, like, no, no, no. It's just a decision to change. It's a decision to walk with Jesus. We don't have to be self-righteous. The point of baptism isn't that we're declaring our self-righteousness. It's declaring that we want to change. We're publicly declaring God's claim on our life and purpose. And so we're created to bring glory to God by reflecting his image, his likeness to the people around us. That's what we're put here on earth to do. And so we get to, we get to do that and we're made righteous. Everyone has a need for purpose. I think we all, we all do, right? If we're honest, like, I want my life to matter. 
Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to have some kind of a legacy, something that you leave behind? Or, or sometimes we just live life and we say, well, it's just about me and my little kingdom and my little thing and how much money I have and my possessions and my family. And man, that's pretty small. That's pretty short-sighted. And God says, I want to give you a purpose. I want to give you a calling, something bigger that you get to be a part of called the kingdom. And so what if instead of trying to live our own little lives and walking in our own righteousness, we said, God, I'm all in for you. I want to walk with you and I want to let you fulfill your purpose through me. That is such a better way to live, I think. So I want to pause here for discussion. I know some of you have never been here before, but we sometimes just pause in the sermon and have a little talk. And so I'm going to ask two questions. Anyone can answer. Just speak loudly so everybody hears. And I want to just... uh, See if you guys are tracking with this. The first question is this. Do you think God has a purpose for your life like he did for John the Baptist and Jesus? And if so, what do you think that is? You think God has a purpose for your life and what is it? I heard a yes. That sounded like a young voice. Where was that? And what do you think it is? Wow, did you hear that? Jack Spidell in the back. He says he's going to be a missionary pilot. That's what he feels like God's called him to do. That's awesome. Anybody else? That's a very specific one. That's, that's okay. That's coming next in my sermon, dude. You're stealing my thunder. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So he, yeah, cat's out of the bag. That's the next point. All right, so... Yeah, he gave us the Great Commission to make disciples. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So next question, if you do believe that God has a purpose for you to live into, how might that impact your day-to-day living? If you believe that, how does that impact your day-to-day living? Does it? It gives us an eternal perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. Like we're living with eternity, an eternal perspective rather than just for today. Why is that important? Eternity matters? Kind of a long time? Kind of a big deal, right? And it brings joy, yeah. Yeah, in the midst of hard things, it brings joy. I think it brings hope too. Right? When things are hard in life, we can look forward because we know we have hope for eternity. It's awesome. All right, good job, guys. Thanks for sharing, except Austin. <laughs> Just kidding. So we saw how Jesus' baptism was him fulfilling all righteousness with John, right? Stepping into his purpose, stepping into his role in the kingdom. Now we're going to fast forward to Um, So we just go all the way over Jesus' life and ministry to the end. So Jesus has been crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb, raised back to life. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. That's Easter. But now all of a sudden, Jesus starts showing up to his disciples. He's just like popping into rooms and walking through walls like crazy. But he's appearing to his disciples and he's telling them some very important things. He said, I got some stuff to tell you before I leave. He goes, I'm about to go back up to heaven And sit down at the right hand of the Father. But I got some important words for you. Some important things to share with you. So this is what he says to 
to his disciples in Matthew 28. If you want to go there in your Bible, otherwise I think we have it on the screen, yeah. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's interesting, right? You're looking at him, but you're doubting him. Anyway, that's not what I'm... Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, I've got some important things for you to do, disciples. This is your mission. This is your marching orders. Go make disciples. Baptize them and teach them. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. So they knew what to do next. That was their mission. And guess what? That's our mission. If we're followers of Jesus, it hasn't changed. Go make disciples. Every church that claims to follow Jesus, this is their mission. Now we can package it up. We can put different words around it. But it's make disciples. Right? Make disciples who make disciples. Go and make them. That's our mission. That's the mission of the church. And so many of us know this passage. We know the Great Commission. I talk about it a lot, uh, maybe too much, I don't know. But I feel like we drift from it. We always forget. Why are we here? We're here to make disciples. We need to be reminded. But there's also something very profound in this passage of Scripture that maybe you've never thought about before or seen. Do you remember when Jesus came up out of the water in the Jordan River and God said something to him? He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That was an identity statement. Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet, hadn't healed anybody, hadn't really done anything, you know, miraculous up to this point that we know of. But he says, he's my son, and I'm well pleased with him because he's my son. There's an identity statement. There's also an identity statement in here where Jesus says to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. This is, this is critical. This is very important. Jesus didn't need a new identity. Perfect, right? He was affirmed in his identity. You're the son, my beloved son. We need a new identity. We're broken people. We're sinful. We're jacked up. We start to value ourselves on the wrong things. I'm, I'm all my successes or I'm my failures or I'm this or I'm that or I'm what my, my parents said about me or what, what my boss thinks of me. We, we put all the wrong things into our identity as people. We're broken. We need help. God knows that. He says, I'm going to give you a new identity. You're going to be with me now. And there's three facets of this because Jesus could have said, hey, just go baptize people. The disciples knew what to do. They were been around, right? But he says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, a kingdom identity that a person, we realize as we're immersed, and that's a picture of Jesus' death and burial resurrection, raised to new life. That's what baptism in the water, when we immerse like that, it's a picture of that. But we receive a kingdom identity and it's realized in our baptism. So I want to unpack this a little bit. Um, The first one is that we're family. We're baptized in the name of the Father. Well, we're adopted as sons and daughters into the family. We're in the royal family. Like I don't know if we can fully grasp how awesome that is. We have all the rights and privileges of Jesus He's our brother. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ, with Jesus. 
And so all of a sudden now, we're in the family. We're loved unconditionally. God loves us. He's crazy about us. And we get to love each other. Like, look around this room. These are your brothers and sisters. We're a family. The Bible says we're a family. And we belong to his family forever. We're adopted in. And so that's one of the reasons why we do a family meal once a month, is I really want us to to remember that we're a family. Unfortunately, many of us, our earthly families are dysfunctional, and so we don't really know what a healthy family looks like. And hopefully as a church, we can model that, we can love each other well, we can show grace. Does that mean we're always perfect? No. Does that mean we're going to have issues to work through? Absolutely. But my hope is that as a church, we live into this identity of family. And some of us don't even know what a healthy church looks like because we've been hurt by the church. We've been in dysfunctional churches with lots of politics. It's not about politics. It's not about the organization. We're a family. That's what the Bible says. We realize that through baptism. So here's my my takeaway. We treat each other like family. We also get to treat people who don't yet know Jesus like family. We get to treat everyone like family because we don't know who's going to come to faith and be adopted in next. We get to treat everyone like family. That's pretty awesome. So we're baptized in the name of the Father, baptized in the name of the Son, and that's where we get our servant identity. Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant. When Jesus was um, with his disciples, just before he went to the cross, he had a meal with them. We call it the Last Supper, and we've seen the painting, you know, and I doubt it looked like that, but um, they were in this room, this upper room, And they had been walking around doing stuff, and all of a sudden the disciples are like, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They walk into this room to have a meal, and there's no servant. Typically in their culture, they wore sandals, dirty feet, muddy feet. I don't know. I'm trying to picture that. I guess they're probably sitting around the table, you know, rubbing their dirty feet on each other, and they don't like that. And so they need to clean them up. Typically, there's a servant who would come around and wash everybody's feet to prepare them for the meal. Jesus is listening to all these people arguing, all all his disciples, about who's the best. What does he do? He quietly gets up, he walks over, he puts a towel, ties it around his waist, grabs the bowl of water, and he begins to wash. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're, You're our leader. You're our teacher. Why are you washing my feet? They don't understand. Jesus goes around you. Such an act of humility and servanthood. He washes all their feet. By the way, you know who else's feet he washed? Judas, the one who betrayed him. His friend who delivered him up to be killed. He still washed his feet too. Jesus said to them, I've given you an example. This is how you're to live. This is who you are. You are servants. Live this way. And Jesus when ultimately all the way to the cross and he laid his life down for his friends. He said, I love you this much. And he was disfigured and he was whipped and he was hung to die on a cross so that he could serve his friends and say, your sins are forgiven. You're going to be with me in eternity. And he served us that way. Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant. There's no way we can outserve Jesus, right? So the takeaway from our servant identity is Saved people serve people. If we're saved, we know Jesus. It's who we are. We're servants. There's nothing beneath us scrubbing a toilet, stacking chairs. I I don't care. Jesus washed feet. There's nothing beneath us 
when we live into our servant identity. It's who we are. And the third one is the missionary identity. And this comes from the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now I know sometimes we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We're like, God the Father, God the Son, get it. Holy Spirit, uh. he's like that crazy uncle who shows up at holidays. We just don't know what to do with him, right? It's just like this cloud or, you know, the force in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I've heard people say, call him it. It's not an it. It's a he. He he has a personality. He's powerful. He's present. He's the third person equal with the Father and the Son, but he has a different role. So Jesus, when he ascended to the Father, he said, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send Holy Spirit. He's going to come live in here, in your heart. And you're never going to get any closer to God than you get with the Holy Spirit in your heart. Right? Mind blown. Like, it is better. I mean, I want to hang out with Jesus and have coffee with him. Don't get me wrong. But the Holy Spirit, he says, better that I go away. You have the Spirit in you. And so God is a missionary God. And he draws people to himself. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we receive the Spirit. We're born again. Jesus talked about that, right? You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Spirit comes in and changes us, fixes our heart, gives us this new identity. But the Holy Spirit's also working all around us, drawing people to Jesus, to faith in Jesus. And so the the Spirit is on mission all the time. That's where we get this idea of missionary, um, our missionary identity. Jesus said, go, make disciples. So as we go, we love Jesus, live sent. We had it on the back of our shirts, like that's our mission statement. As we go, as we live sent, we're joining God in his mission, and he's already doing it. Holy Spirit's already out there working. We get to step into that and join him. I think that's pretty awesome. So we understand that we're a sent people because God is ascending God. He is a pursuer of people. So take away from our missionary identity, found people, find people. If you're found, you know Jesus, we, we have our marching orders. Go make disciples. Go find some people who are lost, who need to know Jesus. Found people, find people. So Jesus has all three of these aspects in his command to his disciples. Then he goes on in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. You realize that the lifestyle changes, the behavior changes come after the identity statement. Baptize them in their new identity, then teach them to observe all I've commanded you. It always goes that way. We live into who we are. Our identity always precedes purpose and behavior. We act out of who we understand ourselves to be. That is true. And so Jesus didn't need a new identity, but we do. And we realize that through our baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. We believe, again, that it's, it's a symbol. It's an act of saying, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm going public with this thing. And I'm going to keep walking with him. And so it's a very powerful and important thing, symbolic. And so this morning, I just uh, ask you, where are you at? Do you know Jesus, first of all? Do you, do you know him by faith? And if you do, have you been baptized? And I know that for some of us, maybe we're baptized as an infant, sprinkled. We've actually got one person being baptized today who was in that situation who just, not to disrespect what happened as she was a child, she just wants to do this as a public profession of her faith. And so what do we do with Jesus? 
Do we follow him? Do we obey him? Are we all in with Jesus? And maybe if we are and we have been baptized, do we realize our identity? That new identity that changes everything for us. That we get to live like family, we get to serve others, and we get to go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Man, what an awesome purpose. I can't think of anything more important to give my life to. It's awesome. It's the good news. It's the gospel. And so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close, and then we're going to see some people take the plunge, all right? We're going to see some people. I hope this is still warm. I dumped a bunch of water on the floor. I was trying to get this hose out of here, and I made a huge mess. I don't know why I just told you that. But anyway, we're going to pray. The band is going to come up and lead us in a song, and then we're going to see this profession of faith. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus, and we see his model, his example. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And Lord, we're made righteous when we follow you, not because of the things that we've done, our good works, but because we walk in faith and, and we follow your example. And Jesus, we receive your righteousness. Thank you for that. And thank you that we receive a new identity. Help us to realize it. Help us to be intentional. Not to try harder to be family. We already are. Not to try harder to be a servant. We already are. We're a missionary. God, just let us realize it because it flows naturally when we, when we know that's who we are. Our doing flows from our being. So let us just rest in that today. God, we give you thanks for all these people about to be baptized. We know that it's your work. It's what you're doing in their hearts and in their lives. So we bless you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Pastor Josh left us with a few takeaways from the service. Baptism isn't about your personal holiness, but it's about God's purpose for us. For John, it was about recognition that his role was to point to Jesus. For Jesus, it was a demonstration of God's purpose for him and the start of his earthly ministry. Through his own baptism, Jesus was declaring God's claim on his life and purpose. Faith, or trusting in God, is the first step to walking in our God-given purpose. The point of baptism isn't that we are declaring self-righteousness, but it's declaring that we want to change. We are publicly declaring God's claim on our life and purpose. A disciple is baptized and finds their identity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or the kingdom identity, family, servant, and missionary. The Father gives us our family identity. We get to treat everyone like family. Jesus gives us our servant identity. Saved people serve people. The Spirit gives us our missionary identity. Found people find people. The Holy Spirit is every much God as the Father and the Son, but He has a different role. He is personal, present, and powerful. God is a missionary. God and the Holy Spirit 
are actively growing the kingdom by reaching more and more people with the gospel of Jesus. Discussion Questions Do you think God has a purpose for your life like he did with John the Baptist and Jesus? What do you think it is? If you believe God has a purpose for you to live into, how might that impact your day-to-day living? Thanks for being here with us, Missio family. We'll see you again next week.